our three values are striving for greatness, being agile in everything we do, and investing in people. This is SaaS Scaled, the podcast where data meets action, with host Armand Schrocki. Each week, Armand will be sitting down with CEOs and industry leaders from the technology sector, giving you the insight to innovate without reinventing the wheel. They'll discuss challenges, best practices, and how to identify the right metrics. So if you want to get to market faster and in a way that matters, then subscribe and join us every week as we discuss SaaS scale. This episode is brought to you by Curve, the modern no-code analytics solution for SaaS companies on AWS. The tools you need to take action with your data on a platform built for maximum scalability, security, and cost efficiencies. If you're ready to reduce complexity and dramatically lower costs, then contact us today at Curve.com. That's Q-R-V-E-Y.com. Hello, welcome to another episode of SaaS Scaled. I'm pleased to have Joyce Drost with us. She's CEO and co-founder of Growth Acceleration Partners. Thank you for joining me, Joyce. Thank you, Armand. So happy to be here and nice to get to chat with you. I love your podcast, so it's an honor for me to be here. Oh, thank you. A very kind of you. Can you tell us a little bit about your story, how you started and starting the company as well, and what was the problems that you saw that you can really address and started the whole thing? Yeah, sure. And this story may be familiar to other kind of technology people out there. Um, so I'm Joyster, CEO and co-founder of Growth Acceleration Partners. I have been in tech for uh, more than 35 years now, and I've always loved technology. And I grew up being really good at math and science, so it was kind of a natural thing for me. And through my career, I worked at many really large wonderful companies, multi-billion dollar kind of companies. I became an executive in one of those companies. And then, uh, like some of you, left that to go become a CEO of a venture-backed security software company, which was a great set of learning experiences. And I made a ton of mistakes, but I learned a lot. And then right after we sold that company 15 years ago, I met a brilliant man named Brett Bachman, the co-founder of of Growth Acceleration Partners, and we decided to start this company. And the reason we decided to start our own company was we had both worked in software companies for years and years, big and small, and we wanted to do something we thought was a little revolutionary in that we wanted to create a company that we actually wanted to work in and that people that might come on our journey with us would be really excited about coming to work every day because they knew this was a company more than any place they had ever been that would spend all their effort focused on growing them and investing them and helping them be the very best that they could be. And for our clients, same thing. We wanted to create a company where you would literally have customers for life. Like once you built that connection and you delivered for them, then no matter where they went, if they changed jobs, if they changed companies, they would always come back to you because of the way that you delivered for them. Those were our two main principles in starting Growth Acceleration Partners. And 15 years later, I would say that's still the thing that drives us every single day. 
So as we are here today, Armand, we are a transformation, a digital transformation consulting company and an engineering services company. And simply me said, that means we help customers really define their technology strategy. What, how can they leverage technology to leapfrog their competitors and provide better experiences for their customers and their employees? And for us, that means we build really big enterprise SaaS platforms for big companies and big data analytics platforms. So we have almost 600 people spread out through the Americas. And that's what we do every day is build SaaS applications. Fantastic. So is there any particular industry or a particular size companies that would be the sweetest spot for you know what actually your company does? Yeah. And I'm going to make it easier for both of us. We can just call us Gap. For all of you entrepreneurs out there in the world, here's the number one lesson. Never give a company a name that is as long as Growth Acceleration Partners because it is really hard to type one million times that uh, every time you have to email someone. So we just call ourselves Gap. That's but a the, name. Yeah, it's much, so much easier than the, than the long name. The areas that we have spent most of our time in have been centered around health tech, fintech, and any other industry, as long as it's a big technology-enabled services companies, uh, those tend to be backed by very large PE firms, but it could be in any space or a public company. I would say the majority of our customers on that size are, you know, 500 million, a billion dollars, two billion dollars. But I'm, you know, in my heart, still an entrepreneur. So we still work with a, you know, small number of startups and, you know, VC backed companies because I am very passionate about helping those companies grow to be a lot larger. When it comes to digital transformation, right? So helping companies to really go there and getting into new technologies, automating them. How do you see that the trend has changed? How do you see that when, for example, during the first five years of gap and then the second five years and the third five years, if you look back, how do you see that things changed? And now we are, you know, in a different probably phase of dig- digital transformation. Yeah, fast. that's a great question. Yeah, and it has changed so much as Armin and I were talking about before we started today. It's a, it feels a little bit like living in Austin, Texas, where I moved here many, many years ago, and this city today looks nothing like it did uh, when I moved here in 94. Um, and I feel the same way about digital transformation. I think, you know, 15 years ago, People weren't really even thinking about this technical term of digital transformation, but they were starting to think about, hey, we need to automate some things. So back then, we saw it very focused around a specific business application or a marketing group wanted to automate something. So it was very kind of siloed in areas. And that kind of stayed that way, I would say, for the first 10 years. Then we started to see as machine learning and AI and people under started to understand really the power of data science and data analytics. Then people started to say, oh my goodness, there is money in here. Like in this big pile of data that we don't really understand, if we figure it out, we will be able to monetize this data and create new revenue streams for the company. And that we started to see pick up speed. 
And so we were, the flywheel was starting to turn and then the pandemic happened. And when it started, none of us knew what the impact was going to be. Uh, we didn't know what our company was like everybody else. But what we saw was uh, rather than slow down, everyone stepped on the gas and all of the big companies and certainly all of our clients and a bunch of new clients we got said, hey, now that I can no longer go speak face to face to my customers, now that I cannot have my employees all together in an office, I need more technology to create better sense of engagement, better levels of kind of the customer experience. And I need more data to give me customer insights to find out what they really need and want in the future because I can't go see them. So we saw a dramatic upshift in terms of the our clients asking for, come in and help us figure out our digital transformation plans, our data strategy, our plan to modernize our applications and get them to the cloud so that we can move more quickly and so that we can have better security. There was just a tremendous move forward in the market. And I think we still see that today. So I think we still have years and years and years to go on this uptick of everyone trying to figure out how to monetize data, how to get to the cloud. One thing I read, Armin, uh, just a couple of weeks ago that I was shocking to me was, and I think it was from Gartner. So don't quote me on that, Gartner. But I'll have to go back and check. But what I saw was it said of all of these companies um, that were on their digital transformation journey, only 10% had started and really made significant progress which would say 90% of the companies out there are still really at the starting gates trying to figure out how to get going. So for those of us, you know, in the world of supplying technology, consulting services, or building SaaS applications, this is a great place to be. I can, you know, resonate with what you said coming from data analytic world, because it's so complex and data has so many dimensions and, you know, the quality of the data itself, uh, taking advantage of the insight it can provide, uh, a lot of aspects that you can go. At the end of the day, the technology is as good as it is being used, right? So if, for example, one of the topics that uh, I heard you talking about in the past was the technology adoption, and that was something that, you know, you wrote about it as well. And I wonder, you know, from your perspective, how do you see the technology and kind of users adopting the technology? What can be done to help it? And in, in this case, what Gap is doing in order to help a higher user adoption and technology adoption? Yeah, I think one of the things that we all have to do is become much more aware of this. And where I became really aware of it is, yeah, we're a digital transformation company and we have our own internal digital transformation projects going on that's, you know, started kind of two years ago and will be going on forever. And throughout our company, we look at every single aspect of the company and say, can we use better technology? 
Uh, do we need to upscale our people? Can we use better processes so that we can scale? Our company is growing at about 40% to 45% a year. So we always have to be transforming to be able to keep up with that. And what I noticed as we put new systems in, in finance and new systems in HR and new systems in recruiting and in delivery is sometimes this will be a surprise. People are resistant to change. And so, you know, as we're out meeting with all of our clients for the big enterprise SaaS applications and data analytics platforms that we're building, we have, as we're having strategy conversations, we make sure that we're forcing, hey, we really need to think intentionally about user adoption, not just in building the best world-class technology, because we can do that, that we guarantee that's going to happen. But let's make sure that on the receiving end, that your customers are really thinking of through the process of, you know, what are you communicating to the users? The first thing you have to do with end users, if you want some adoption, is tell them what's in it for you. Why are we doing this in the first place? Why is this new technology good for the company? Why is it good for our customers? Why is it good for our employees? And you have to be really specific about, hey, employees, this new technology is going to make your life better. You have to do less tedious stuff so that you can do more of the work that we really love to do that's intellectually challenging and not mind-numbing. But too many companies skip that step and go straight to, we have really cool new technology and you know we put it in and you're going to love it. And when you do that, you know, most of the time people will go, hey, I'm already really busy working 40, 50 hours a week. I don't really have time for anything new. I already know how to do this job. I do it really well. Maybe I'm still using Excel, but it seems to work. So I don't have time for that thing. And you have to get in front of that like really quickly. And SaaS companies, I think, could actually decrease their customer churn increase their revenue, certainly increase their stickiness if they could spend as much time focused on the user embracing their technology as we do on designing and building that technology. You mentioned that during the course of 15 years of you know, history of the company, the first 10 years, you didn't see that much kind of huge kind of you know, change or something in digital transformation and the way companies want it. But then you saw the acceleration, especially during the COVID time. And that leads me to the question to ask moving forward, how do you see or where are the areas that you think mostly there are rooms for other changes coming and some you know, new technologies that you see or some new techniques or some new changes that you see it's happening. And maybe it was less on the front line five years ago, but now it is getting to the front line. And companies now, they are thinking more seriously about it. As you mentioned, not every single company on earth has been in the full capacity. Some of them have just started. Some of them have started, but the user adoption was not that high. Some of them started, they had a good user adoption, but it's still they are evolving it. So everybody is somewhere in that journey, but it's still, I'm talking about really the frontline, the kind of people that are more, you know, taking new technologies and go with it. What are those trends that you have observed? Two of the areas I'm very excited about is, so, you know, the giant companies, uh, Amazon and Google, and, you know, really 
very large technology companies have thousands and thousands and thousands of people deployed on focused on the user experience and on data analytics and data science. What I'm interested in watching right now is that you're seeing that really come down to medium-sized companies, to where medium-sized companies and eventually small companies, but right now medium-sized companies are very focused on how do I really improve user interfaces, user experience, build deeper one-on-one relationships through technology with each one of my customers. And every touch point that they have with a customer, they are now starting, these medium-sized companies, starting to collect data on it. And they don't quite know, I can see it coming, they don't quite know what to do with all that data. It's all going into a data lake somewhere. But coming soon, really smart people like you are going to help them figure out, hey, let's really look at all these various pieces of data. And did you know if you have this pattern and this pattern and this pattern, that means you can sell them this. Right. So that's what we see coming that really has been reserved just for the most elite technology companies kind of in the past. But that is coming downstream and people starting to understand the relationships in the data, I think, is really, really exciting. It'll produce stronger companies, better business outcomes and better experiences for the end customer, which is great for everyone. That's what I think. You're the data guy. What do you think? (laughs) Yeah, in my view, actually, you know, you look at the data analytic in a way that it has been descriptive for a while and people wanted to understand what happened in the past. And then that was something has been around for a while. And as we move forward, more and more technologies and more and more companies wanted to also better understand the analysis part of it, that why it is happening and what is going to happen in the future and how I can even impact the future and probably do it in a way that maybe a different outcome can come out of it. And those kind of, you know, causal analysis and this kind of, but but again, it's moving from the past and moving toward the future. I think the crystal ball is what ultimately everyone wants to have that, you know, can I just understand, you know, what is coming and how can I impact it positively so the outcome can do it? And data and analytics have the power to make that happen, but it's not going to be an easy problem and it's not going to be easy to do for every industry and every use case. The more narrow it down, I think the more make it practically applicable to that particular entity and that particular use case, I think you have a higher chance of success. Yeah, I do too. And I think one of the things, you know, we try and take customers through just to get them to open their mind and think about that is, well, what, forget whether or not, forget technology for a second. What questions would you like to have the answers to? Let's get the questions to find, wow, you know, I really want to know, you know, how many customers are, you know, going to be, are going to come to me, you know, next month uh, for these kind of services. Okay, well, Let's start to figure out what data do we have that might start to, you know, predict what, what's going to happen in, at that time. So, yeah, I think that's the thing is just getting people to really think about there are people out there like you and like, like us that can help figure out how to use technology to solve the problem. We need people to think about well, what questions do I want an answer that will, you know, predict my future. Then, we'll, you know, we can help you get there. 
Yeah. And you mentioned SaaS. And of course, you know, this has been a phenomenon that has been around in different shapes and forms and it's evolving. And then we have seen this new operating system being more like Amazon, for example, AWS, that acts like more as services infrastructure that, you know, it's, it's an operating system by itself that now you run your software on it or other cloud providers, and then you get a lot of services out of it. And then on top of these services, you are building the application layer and go and help other companies. Now, in the old days, enterprise was more a consumer of these kind of application software products for most part. And then IT had the role to take these products from vendors and then apply it to the organization and then monitor and, you know, do all of the things to make sure this is running smoothly. And now we see the trend that these large enterprises, they look at it as, okay, we want to also build the product. We have gained enough experience and we have enough talents. And now not just we want to have the IT running the applications, but we want to have our own SaaS product. So you see building these product teams and actually building these product companies within enterprise, it's being something that I personally see more and more. And I think the trend will be positive and even accelerating. Recently, Capital One introduced starting their own software company within the entity and bringing some of the technologies and products. I think if you, even if you look at the Amazon as an e-commerce company, well, e-commerce company decided at one point, I want to be AWS as well and software company and build product. And I have a lot of technologies and talents and why not building what I have built for myself that worked very well. I wanted to productize it and then provide it to the world. So that is the kind of trend. Have you seen the same trend? What do you think about it? There are SaaS companies and there are SaaS I would say entities within large enterprises. Yeah, building the, especially the infrastructure. So we completely see that. Well, and certainly, you know, for the enterprise companies that we work with, that we're building these big enterprise SaaS ap applications, in every one of those, they have chosen, because they're not a software products company, they're a technology services company, right? Providing a service to somebody through this SaaS, through an, B2B, through another through the SaaS platform, all of these companies uh, go through the decision process of if they own this IP, if they build it for themselves, the valuation of their company is a much higher multiple, right? So they do that. And some of the companies decide, hey, we, you've mentioned some of them, not only does this increase the value of my company, I can now license this for usage in other companies because, you know, I can make a whole new revenue stream by sharing what I've built here. And so I think, I think we're going to see a lot more of that because these companies have invested heavily in these platforms. And there's some, you know, they built this infrastructure as code that could be used in a lot of different applications. They might as well find one more way to monetize that. So I think that's terrific. It will make, you know, technology move a lot faster. Uh, in all industries, uh, certainly, you know, AWS and 
you know, Azure and GCP, their infrastructure components already allow us to build applications at a much faster rate because there's so many core components already plugged in that we can all take advantage of. We don't have to write ourselves. And I think, you know, more companies will decide to get on that bandwagon and say, hey, I've written something that can be of value to everybody. I can productize it. Yeah, that'll just help all of us, you know, keep all these wheels moving a lot more quickly. Yeah. I think the general trend is democratizing and distributing everything, right? So as you, as the software gets more popular for obvious reasons and the benefits it brings to companies and to people and everyday's life, um, then of course, more distributed the system will become, more software developers will be building software, more companies think about software more strategically and more software vendors will exist and more service companies can strategically provide the service and help you know, increasing the user adoption and technology adoption. And um, so all of that, I think, as a result of even more geographic area, we talked about, you know, for example, the fast growth that we see now in Austin, Texas, and many other parts of the country that is kind of distributing even geographically, just, you know, having more technology corridors and more hubs for technology. So all of those are great kind of you know, expansion and distribution and, and democratizing, you know, all of these great technologies. Yeah, and, and it kind of, it has to happen that way. You know, the latest statistics show that by 2026, there'll be a shortage of 1.2 million engineers in just the United States. So we got to figure out how to, you know, democratize technology. You know, we have to expand to more geographic technology centers. Uh, our company, we're headquartered right here in Austin, Texas, and we've got more than 500 people in Latin America, and we continue to expand there. That's what's going to be required because the world has more demand for technology solutions than, you know, than we'll ever be able to provide. So we got to figure out, you know, how to continue to go faster by, you know, using all the technology tools available to us and who's ever developed them. That's, I think that's an exciting part. And there'll be a lot, you know, as there's still so many new technologies kind of coming online uh, over the next few years, I think we'll see, you know, a lot more kind of speed up in the whole, especially on the data side. You mentioned a good point that, for example, there are some cities that they have a strong universities and like, San Francisco is one of them, Boston, great, Austin, Texas, great, Washington, D.C. area. So many of them have fantastic universities and these technology people coming out of these universities and they can really, you know, build that ecosystem there. But recently we have seen some other areas like uh, Miami in, for example, Florida, that uh, they are creating this technology hub but without having necessarily the biggest, you know, tech universities. And the way they do, it's based on this democratization of the talents and the remote work that the world has changed in a way that they can tap into many of these resources, especially in Latin America. And, you know, that city is uniquely positioned to access 50 different regions and countries of Latin America. 
and then they are building this technology hub. So I think the future that we are going to see is definitely remote is part of it and working remotely, more distributed and reach out to, you know, anywhere, any, you know, in the world. And just the location is going to be a little bit, maybe different meaning, maybe maybe a little bit uh, more casual meaning that it had compared to what it had before. Yeah, I, to- I completely agree with that. And the, the pandemic, that was another thing, the pandemic really sped up, right? We were eventually going to get there, but the pandemic really kind of erased in people's mind the need that you had to have five developers sitting at the same table staring at each other all day. They're like, oh, yeah, technology, people can work from anywhere. I think what you'll start to see is regions of the world, as we call it, the Americas, you know, everything from, you know, Canada, U.S., Mexico, all throughout Central and South America that operate on the same time zones that the U.S. is operating on. It's very easy, right? Great English skills, amazing technical universities kind of throughout. That is a easy thing. So that you see a ton of stuff going on right now. And then, it, you know, in the rest of the world, again, great engineering centers, but I think time zone and culture will start to play even more of a factor here as people are building kind of remote teams. So how do they get a diverse team? Really important, right? How do you build a really diverse team in terms of gender, in terms of ages, in terms of cultures and locations and economic status, all that? More diversity, better solutions. So how do you build a diverse team that's got a culture that can really bond and work well together? That is the focus for high velocity, high productivity here going forward. And and the other point that you mentioned when we were talking was some special programs that GAP provides that might be very special to your company and the way you guys, you know, do the either the advisory property programs that you have or some of these. Can you expand a little bit upon that as well? Yeah, sure. I'll tell you about a few of them. So on the advisory side, technology consulting side, we have a modernization kind of advisory work where client customer will bring us in and say, you know, we have this big monolithic app. It's been running our business well for about 15 years. We don't have any idea how to get this thing over to the cloud in pieces all at once, rewrite it. I don't know. So we go through a pretty involved process of helping them figure out what the right answer is for them, for their specific business outcomes. It's a different answer for every company. In addition, we do the same thing on the data side. They're like, we have piles and piles of data. We've been collecting it for the last few decades. We don't know where the gold is in there, how to turn that into something value. We don't know if we're collecting the right data or the wrong data. And so we'll go through a whole process of really helping them kind of build out a data strategy. Uh, One of the other new ones that we have that's one of my most favorites right now is, you know, you talked about kind of AWS, Azure, same thing, GCP, they all have them. But if we just stick with AWS, all the infrastructure components they have, we've done the work of putting together these accelerator templates to save our clients about six or nine months worth of work of starting to build their application. So we have a whole data ingestion platform that a client can literally push a button on and immediately start bringing in data and, and putting data out in a way that could be usable for a, from a, for a data analytics kind of solution. And we can do that for a highly scalable web app. So we're trying to figure out how to really accelerate our clients' move to the cloud in a way that's most 
beneficial to them taking advantage of cloud components. So we've done the development and the testing for those things so they can start just adding their business logic on top of it. And then the last thing uh, I'll mention is what we call an app assessment, which is any application that the client has, we can go through and do a kind of line-by-line code review, uh, do a security review, where are the, is it on maintainability and, you know, how easy is it to update and, you know, add performance enhancements and whatever. And many of our clients have used us for that if they're considering acquiring something or if they're trying to determine, hey, should they invest any more money in this or, or what? So we'll come in and do a, you know, kind of a one month, six week kind of a drill down to say, here's, Here's where the value is in this current application. So based on these programs and then going through these kind of, you know, practices with many companies, either assessing what they have or, you know, reviewing what they have or providing them a path that this is the right path for you guys to modernize your cloud applications, infrastructure. Is there any particular points and some some particular points, some particular advices, because this is the common things that you have seen as a pattern that can help companies thinking about modernization. If uh, they have this monolithic application, they want to go serverless, they want to go make it microservices to save some maybe money on the infrastructure or go green, or for any reason they are very interested or bringing down the cost or scaling better for any reason that all of the benefits. What is the kind of, you know, some common, I would say, very common points that you have observed that if companies really pay attention to these few things, those would be your advice for them to really look at these few things and it can help you during the process, either save you money or save you time. Yeah, uh, certainly. And I think that's one of the benefits that we have is because we have done work across so many different industries and so many different companies that we have identified kind of consistent patterns and best practices. So I'm sure it'll happen tomorrow if I say it never happens right now, but very, very rarely is the answer. You have this big monolithic app and you should rewrite the whole thing. So what we really try and help clients identify is what's the most payback for the least kind of investment. Okay, well, out of this big giant monolithic app, there's like four different components, you know, out of 20 that you really need to rewrite those because that's really where the data is and where the key performance enhancements could be made and where the key new features are going to come. Let's focus on those, get those in new technology, get those all cloud-based and and let's get going. And the rest of them, you know, we can move it to the cloud, but maybe we don't have to change as much. And so we really, I think a lot of companies, especially on small and medium size, sometimes assume that it's all or nothing. Like I have to change everything to be all one new technology or I can change nothing. And that's not really the case. There's a lot of mix and match opportunities. And that's the best way to get return on your dollar is to figure out where the short big wins are and focus on those first. Yeah, yeah. So I have personally seen this many times, but you're right. So the big point and advice here is look at it not just as option A and B, but many options between A and B, because you can really mix and match and you can find many middle grounds that might be the right way to do, uh, because otherwise you may end up doing either nothing or you may go and just get trying to do everything and it's just maybe too much to accomplish and and put the risk 
And we always tell people too, again, at every step of the way, what business objectives does this tie back to? Like we're, I love technology. I believe me, I love it. But we don't do technology just for the, you know, because I had nothing better to do today. It's because it's going to make the business better in some way. And so we just keep kind of driving that conversation back. If we do this, does this increase customer conversions? If we do this, does it improve the customer experience so you have higher NPS scores? If we do this, is it lower employee attrition? What is the thing? Like it has to do something that, you know, the executive team kind of cares about. And, you know, if you keep ha- keep asking those questions, why, why is this important? Then you'll end up making the right decisions. You're right. And, and more than just looking at it at the beginning, you have to really keep track of it as you go, because it's very easy to just, you know, define all of those and then start the technology and forget about the original ideas, because then you are in the challenges of execution, and then you are trying to make it work without recalculating. And sometimes things change. So maybe priorities have changed. Maybe business now have different criteria or something. So it's a constant, never-ending kind of, you know, someone looking at it, recalculating, recalculating, and making sure that still everything is you know, looking great and we are on track and we are benefiting the business the best we can using these technologies. We're a values-based company. Our three values are striving for greatness, being agile in everything we do and investing in people. That's how we live every single action in our life. That middle one, being agile, applies to everything. And it's just what you were saying, right? Along every step of the way, hey, We've done this for a couple of weeks. Are these still the right priorities? Are we still on track? Okay, go make some more progress. But you got to continue to do that retrospective. You got to continue to say, hey, let's just, you know, if priorities change, they change. Let's be agile. Mm -hmm. Joyce, I would like to ask you to also share with us maybe a couple of books or one book or whatever, you know, publication or blog post, whatever you like that really help has helped you you know, in what you do doesn't have to be necessarily about this discussion, but something that, you know, you have enjoyed uh, reading, learning it, and you would like to share with the audience as well. Oh, thank you. I I love reading and I read a ton of books, fun, you know, fun, interesting fiction books and a whole bunch of business books. A book that I've read and many people on my team have read just recently that we are really excited about is a book by Marcus Buckingham. Uh, and the book is Love Plus Work. And the concept really is about, you know, we all have a job to do. You don't have to love everything about all 40 hours a week of your job. You probably don't. But if you could find like 20 minutes a day of stuff that you really love doing and you get to do that every day, maybe you could stretch it to one hour, you will be absolutely in love with your job. And it's our job as leaders to really help people identify and find what is it that you love about your work and can we help you do more of that? And I found that book to be really changed the way that we are approaching people about their jobs and their career path uh, to really drive it in a way that they uh, just find so much more joy in their work. And so I, I recommend that book to everyone. Love Plus Work, Marcus Buckingham. Thank you very much. It has been great. I have been delighted to speak with you and it is many good points that you raised. I hope that the audience enjoyed as much as I did. 
Thank you. Thank you, Armin. It's a pleasure getting to know you. Thanks for letting me be here. Thank you for listening to SAS Scaled with Arman Ashragi. For show notes and any resources mentioned in today's episode, go to sasscaled.com. If you're enjoying our show, give us a five-star review and share on LinkedIn. And be sure to subscribe for any updates on future episodes. Thanks for listening. This episode is brought to you by Curve, the modern no-code analytics solution for SaaS companies on AWS. The tools you need to take action with your data on a platform built for maximum scalability, security, and cost efficiencies. If you're ready to reduce complexity and dramatically lower costs, then contact us today at curve.com. That's Q-R-V-E-Y dot com.